Welcome to Blockspaces Live, the podcast where we help real people solve real-world problems with blockchain and Web3. All our episodes are recorded live, which means you're welcome to attend yourself, to ask questions, and be a part of our community. To get your invite, head to blockspaces.com slash podcast and hit subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Gabe Higgins to find out what developments in Bitcoin we can expect in 2023. Keep listening to find out how the Lightning Network and Taro are going to unlock lots of new possibilities for DeFi. Why Gabe believes that the turbulence we saw in late 2022 won't actually impact development on Bitcoin all that much. And how Bitcoin is playing a big role in renewable energy. All right, let's get into the show. That in mind, let's uh, let's kick things off. And uh, Gabe, I kind of touched on your background, um, but just to give everyone maybe some more context for why you have such a passion for Bitcoin and why you've dedicated so much of your time and energy to this space, can you um, can you share the story of how you got involved in Bitcoin and why you decided to, um, you know, make it such an important uh, you know part of your work? Yeah, for sure. Um, so in I started following politics in 2007 uh, when a gentleman from Texas called Ron Paul uh, started uh, talking about monetary policy and um, all the things that were wrong with our current monetary policy and foreign policy and other issues. Uh, but it really perked my interest on what was happening there. Um, uh, you know, obviously little did we know shortly after that, uh, we had, uh, the great recession, uh, in 2008 and 2009 and, uh, near, uh, complete collapse of the financial, uh, system, uh, to which, you know, there was huge bailouts for banks and lots of consolidation in the, in the private financial industries, um, in, in, in lieu of that. So uh, that really got my interest in finance in general. Before that, I had no idea how any of the system worked or had no clue about finance. I didn't invest in anything. Um, so that really got me uh, to start thinking uh, about, you know, what is all this? Like, how could we come to a brink of collapse? And like, like we did. Um, and at the time I was working for a land surveyor, uh, so uh, building residential homes and we were slammed busy before that um, new houses going up constantly. Uh, and I was, I was like working overtime time and a half uh, to uh, because we we're so busy and then it just dropped off a cliff. So I saw the impact uh, it had on the housing market firsthand. Um, so I, I just started digging in like what what happened here um so fast forward obviously ron paul being um kind of libertarian not kind of very uh, much um, <laughs> no kind of about the it. libertarian <laughs> of our days um and uh you know it really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the uh the things wrong with this with the current system and how our monetary system actually functioned and and worked kind of worked um so after that and and he also ran again in uh 2012 um and that's when uh you know bitcoin had been born out of the financial uh crisis um and 
So during his second run um, in all these libertarian circles, and that's where Bitcoin was really starting to get uh, some initial traction uh, and being talked about a lot. So that's where it crossed my path. And my so my new uh, interest in finance with my old interest, I had always been interested in technology. Uh, I was building gaming computers, uh, PCs as a teenager. Uh, myself. So I had always been interested. I went to college for um, uh, computer engineering. So I, uh, my interest in technology and new interest in finance kind of collided with Bitcoin. And I uh, kind of immediately saw how interesting it, it, it was. Uh, to me, it was, it was just fascinating. It was a fascinating um, technology and a fascinating uh, prospect that if we can uh, if we could redevelop a new monetary uh, unit of account and store of value, what would that look like in the digital age? Um, and and so I kind of started diving down the rabbit hole to learning more about how this technology worked, um, if it could, you know, if it had any staying power at that at that time, it had only been alive for you know a couple of years. Yeah. So there was a lot of questions on whether or not this would would last at all. So. So it's kind of this intersection of technology and interest in, you know, politics and, and how it affects monetary policy and the economy and, um, you know, how, how money is handled and a lot of like, yeah. a lot of factors at play, which is, I think one of the fascinating things about Bitcoin, it's not just like a, a product, but it represents a lot of different things for, for many different people. And it's, it's, it's great to hear like that kind of organic interest uh, from you very, very early on. So we could probably take this whole time and talk about like all the things that have happened with Bitcoin over you know, the last decade or so, but we want to today, yeah. at least we want to do a recap on 2022. Mm -hmm. So tell us what are some of the kind of like salient um, points, some of the milestones that happened over the last 12 months in the, in the Bitcoin space? Yeah, there's obviously a lot. This year has been a very interesting year, to say the least. Um, but specifically with Bitcoin, right, it was about this time last year um, that um, the latest kind of major update or upgrade in Bitcoin happened. And that was the with uh, Taproot. Um, Taproot enabled uh, new functionalities, new capabilities on Bitcoin that um, had been talked about for years of course and this has been building for years uh but it's it was finally integrated into the protocol um so that is has kind of spot for this whole year that's kind of kicked off this whole new wave of innovation uh building on bitcoin and on layer twos uh such as lightning network and other side chains um the the new capabilities that bitcoin has now um without increasing any overhead uh as far as block size goes in in block space as it's used in in uh in the bitcoin um uh, blockchain is that we have more uh capabilities and functionality increased functionality um, without increasing the costs, without increasing the size of a transaction, and we can create infinitely more complex transactions now. So that is really exciting to see these scaling uh, capabilities that are now on Bitcoin. 
um, that are just now kind of coming to coming to fruition, starting to be built and starting to come to light. Um, so Lightning Network has just exploded with uh, interest and development. Uh, and of course, we saw that as well at the beginning of this year. So we uh, dove right in. And I, I had always been interested in Lightning Network um, since the paper was released in like 2017. Uh, but it's just taken so long um, to get it developed to a point where it's usable in any kind of real sense. Um, and and with Taproot's in, uh, integration into Bitcoin, that really kind of unleashed uh, Lightning's kind of true potential, I feel like. So, so real quick, uh, just for someone who's not technical and you know, hasn't read some of the documentation on Taproot, can you just walk us through what that development is with like you talked about some functionality it enables, but what are the specific things that that yeah. unlocks? Yeah, so it introduced a new kind of um, digital signature um, that is more uh, compact. Uh, it doesn't take up as much transaction space. Um, so it's more compact and more secure uh, mm -hmm. to boot. Um, so th there's, a, a, just to put it very simply, that's, that's kind of that in a nutshell. So uh, it enables when you don't take up as much space there's only limited space on the on the blockchain or in or in a in a transaction output so you have to uh kind of condense the functionality to fit within that confined space with taproot it enabled that uh, the functionality to increase while maintaining the same size transaction so uh it's it's a really uh, it's a technical feat that hasn't been done before, and it's uh, really exciting to see how that is kind of playing out now, how how that is being able to uh, be utilized. And it's kind of opened up this like Pandora's box on exploring the how, how far we can push the boundaries of that. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting topic in and of itself, like where Bitcoin can go, because before this year, I'd never even... I'd never even considered the idea of like smart contracts being on Bitcoin. Right. So, uh, but now that's yeah. through lightning network that's, and so where, where do you see, where do you see Bitcoin functionality going over the next, let's say year or so? Yeah. Well, so there's a lot of discussion um, and, and uh, release of uh, protocols that are happening right now. Uh, probably one of the, the big ones is uh, called Taro. Uh, which is uh, being spearheaded by uh, Lightning Labs. And what this does is basically enable um, complete uh, Turing tur complete functionality on top of the Lightning Network. Uh, so any kind of tokens, any kind of um, automated uh, DeFi, automated market makers, DeFi applications, uh, are now being explored on Lightning Network. Um, and the benefit there is that the transaction cost and the speed uh, is extremely fast. Uh, so again, we're able to take the security of the base layer of Bitcoin and uh, without disrupting the consensus model either, uh, building on top of that, right, on this uh on this second layer that doesn't require waiting for blocks uh, mm -hmm. and doesn't require confirmation times. Uh, it's instant settlement 
lightning fast and it's just crazy how um how that the functionality of this is just opening up a whole host of possibilities a lot of that which has been already explored in uh the ethereum ecosystem and other ecosystems um you know we've seen how that has developed um in in those protocols uh that th that capability is now kind of crossing over into bitcoin yeah that, that's interesting just hearing you talk about some of those concepts you know turn complete smart contracts etc those are things like you said they've been talked about and executed on in the ethereum space for for a while now but we haven't really seen those in bitcoin so let's like think about like 12 months from now for doing this podcast how do you see based on like how you've seen bitcoin evolving like what differences will remain and what similarities will remain between say like bitcoin and the ethereum ecosystem at that point do you have any thoughts on how that's mm. going to shape out yeah, I think um, I think we'll start to see just like a lot of parallels, uh, a lot of even with uh, DeFi apps on Ethereum, uh, they've been kind of crossing over into other ecosystems because Ethereum's too expensive. Ethereum hasn't solved their scalability issues. Um, they decided to focus on swapping out their consensus mechanism uh, instead. So it's a it's a it's a choice in how those ecosystems have been directed or are directing themselves uh, and what their value sets are. Uh, Bitcoin chose to, uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem has chose to focus on uh, scalability from the ground up while not compromising on the security and de de decentralization of the core protocol. So that I think has been a, basically the key differentiator between Bitcoin and everything else. Uh, so now that those things are in place on Bitcoin, I, we'll start to see those the scalability and adoption of those kinds of applications on Lightning Network and other layer twos on Bitcoin uh, because they can scale. The, the scalability issue has basically been solved. Uh, there's still a lot of optimization to be done, of course, uh, work to be done on that. But for the most part, the big chunks of where that friction um, lies and you know, what we felt in 2017 uh, when transactions on Bitcoin were like 50 to 100 bucks um, a pop, that, uh, that's gone. That's never coming back. Um, so uh, we can be confident in building on Bitcoin now. Uh, like never before. So that's that's basically, I think we'll start to see a lot of that innovation happen. And um, specifically how with how Lightning uh, works, how just how it operates as a protocol, uh, there's interesting dynamics there at play that's not quite like uh, anything else in other DeFi ecosystems because uh, you have to build trustless environments uh for the most part and uh there's with the added functionality uh there's other mechanisms to where um different kinds of business models are going to be at play with lightning um such as providing liquidity um it's going to be a huge um uh, industry i feel like on lightning so uh that's um already starting to play out we're starting to see a lot of uh entrance into that market space so that's that's cool to see. And on the topic of trust and where Bitcoin's going, bringing it back to 2022 with recent events, right? With FTX, and now there's some 
unconfirmed drama with Binance. That situation's hairy. I would just recommend anyone just go look it up. Uh, but with that, do you think all of this, even if the worst case scenario is true with Binance, do you think that's going to hurt Bitcoin in the in the short to midterm in terms of how people develop on it, or is it going to help? Like, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I I. I... I don't think it really impacts the development of Bitcoin, certainly. Um, all this drama has been, in my mind, really kind of a, a positive, uh, although it's been terrible for people who've lost money. Obviously, that's uh, that should never happen. And, and, and the reason for this technology is specifically so that cannot happen. Right. And yet it's right. still happening because people are not utilizing this technology as it should be. Um, so that's the big, the big problem here. There's a big disconnect on what this is supposed to be and how it's being used today. Uh, and we're still relying on these centralized actors that are obviously either nefarious or just incompetent. Um, so it, it, to handle like massive amounts of funds in, in the way that they do is just uh, it's just proven time and time again that uh, this is that's not the way that this should be. Um, so I think uh, having having uh, a, a, a more focused on building self-custodian solutions, making it super easy for users that are not super you know techy or familiar with how any of this works, uh, dumbing it down to where it's super easy for them to interact with this stuff and and not rely on a centralized authority. you you are communicating with a protocol uh, through a dashboard and it, you just point and click and then you know the things happen. Uh, but what's making it happen in the background isn't a company. It's a protocol and you're and you're relying on that protocol to operate how the protocol is built. And that is backstopped by who who builds it and who tests it and who's running on it. And and um, so you, the, the, the trust in these third party entities has to go away. Um, and that's always been kind of like the the um, the the purpose. But um, I think, you know, unfortunately, humans we have to learn the hard way sometimes and we have to experience the pain to really see the value in having something uh like defi applications um defi exchanges uh self-custody wallets and why those are important and why it takes it takes it it, it takes worth knowing right take it, taking the time to to learn these things and learn about them how to use them uh is worth it yeah, it's it's interesting you brought that up, Gabe, because when I think back over like a lot of the marketing that I've observed the last year, and I didn't really think about this until I just heard you say this, but I, I haven't heard a lot of voices advocating for non-custodial. I know there's they're yeah. there, but like anything that's got like a paid marketing budget behind it. Almost everything I'm seeing, it, it, it's not the conversation. It's in a lot of the marketing, you know, it's come from exchanges, um, yeah. you know, right or wrong, but they're, they're focusing on different aspects of, of blockchain and Bitcoin and Web3. Sure. And, and yeah. so is there, what's your take? Is there like a conflict of interest between like an exchange not wanting people to be self-custodial? Is, is, am I, is that the wrong perspective to take? Why aren't we hearing more people advocate for 
non or for self custody? Yeah, that's a that is a great question, and uh, uh, you know, it, in in this kind of like iteration of innovation, I would say, and and if we just like take a step back and look at what has transpired with this industry over the last thirteen years, almost fourteen years since Bitcoin uh, was first kind of dropped out of nowhere in our laps. Um, it's it's been remarkable uh needless to say um i could have not ever imagined in my wildest dreams um even a handful of years ago that uh the space entirely would be where it's at right now um that bitcoin's development would be where it's at right now being adopted by um all the major financial institutions and some countries uh, as legal tender um, that was just a wild dream just a handful of years ago. And to see how fast that has transpired has been remarkable, uh, to say the least. Um, so I would say that uh, the initial iteration required centralized, decentralized controllers because that's all who knew how to do anything with this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's this, it's this tug and pull between uh, the old and the new, right? It's this transition period that we were going through and we're feeling, you know, the growing pains of that with these uh, exchanges going defunct and bankrupt um, because they're not they're not handling it properly. And if they can't handle it properly and they're supposedly mm -hmm. the trusted ones that know what they're doing, um, you know, certainly the general public can't either. So it it's really instructive to see how how that's kind of emerged right is that we're again just turning towards these centralized uh controllers these third parties and just trusting them and what we have to do is change our mindset and change our behavior towards decentralization self-custody understanding what that means and, and realizing um not only the potential and promise uh but why right why is that important and all the all of these um, failures that we're seeing in the market is just constantly just instilling that and reiterating that point to us um, that it's very important and we should take it seriously and mm -hmm. we should act on it. We shouldn't just talk about it. We should build the things that are going to help people adopt this in a way that doesn't put their uh, you know their life savings at risk. There's many people, many news stories now about. How, how people had their life savings in FTX, like a brand new company, only a couple years old, ran by this this kid, basically that knows nothing. It's, it's insane that people do that, but they do because they don't trust themselves. They they'd rather mm -hmm. trust somebody else that they perceive knows better, um, and that's gotta just that's gotta change. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fear fear of missing out, driving some of that as well. Drew, what were you going to say? I was just I was just going to say it seems like almost from a customer perspective and from the perspective of most companies out there, not you know, I'm not going to like throw anyone or an industry like under the bus, but it's like self-custody, like non-custodial solutions in this space is hard. It's the hard way to do it. And so no one wants to do it. It it it's just an interest, you know, it's just interesting overall. And it 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 alludes to what what Gabe what Gabe was just saying. Like, yeah, it's it's just a weird. I guess it's not weird, right? But just the 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 negative, the the possible negative externalities of 
uh, not having control and having another entity in control for you. It, that is just, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that definitely has to change. I agree with Gabe hundred percent. We had just think about like how we've been taught to manage finances in basically every other aspect, right? Like we're not, we're told like, don't keep cash in your mattress, put it in the bank. It's much safer. Uh, you know, there's a reason we don't have like bear shares for stock anymore. Like, uh, you can think of plenty of other examples. The whole idea is you, you, someone else knows how to handle this better than you. So you, they're, they're, they're your uh, custodian and like that, that concept of like that actually being a bad thing or posing risks that, you know, can't be mitigated. That's not, that's a new concept for people. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and, and. Obviously, we, we've never had this kind of thing before where we can own and control a digital asset, right? That's the new thing that is new to mankind. <laughs> like this is obvi- this is like a novel concept uh, to grasp for everybody, right? So we're all learning in real time how to deal with a new kind of asset class that has never existed before in the history of humanity. So um, these growing pains are understandable to some degree, obviously, uh, and and we're still very, very early on in this, uh, what I think is this like this, you know, convergence into uh, the the digital realm, if you will. Um, and as we're moving more into the internet age, this is becoming more and more apparent that obviously it's not going away. Um, it's actually very useful and needed for a lot of circumstances and exploring those use cases and being able to properly manage how this uh, develops and how um, you know how people interact with it is is the new kind of frontier right this is this is what you know obviously us at block spaces saw uh, a handful of years ago and started embarking on so uh, that's what that's what's exciting, really. Um, that's what's exciting about diving into this. And uh, that's why we see a lot of smart people coming into this space and uh, building very interesting uh, new kinds of products that uh, weren't mm-hmm. even possible uh, before yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah, new things get solved and then new problems emerge or you know, there's just this cycle of like new things that now can be built and need to be built. And maybe if they were yep. built a few years ago, it would have been too soon. And now there's the now the time's right. So um exactly. Yeah. Just a quick reminder. So guys, we're about halfway through. And so if you've got questions for Gabe, drop them in the QA. We're gonna keep going. You know, Drew and I could talk with Gabe for probably the you know the rest of the day about this stuff. But uh yeah, just a reminder, any questions you have, put them in the QA and we'll we'll get those answered. But uh Drew, I know you've been thinking a lot about just some of the the geopolitical aspects of, of Bitcoin. Uh you wanna it's going to take us in that direction for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, FTX and all that stuff that happened is very recent. It's fresh in everyone's mind, but 2022 is still a pretty long year um, in a lot of different ways and not just, not just with exchanges. Um, and so I wanted to ask too. So like, where do you see a lot of other like geopolitical developments and how they would affect Bitcoin? Like not just with Russia and Ukraine, but also with like a lot of, a lot of leaps and bounds this year have been made on uh, on uh, CBDCs and things like that. So how how do you see like the global shifting of of power in the world? How do you how do you see that affecting Bitcoin, if at all? 
Yeah, th- this is probably one of the most interesting. And, uh, and one of the things that I saw early on that really kind of clicked with me or resonated with me uh, in, in well, while I was learning about Bitcoin in its early days, uh, there was the event at Cyprus, Greece, where they did a bail in where they sh- shut all the banks down, all the ATMs restricted everybody access to everybody's accounts and then took a haircut of 20% off of all of depositors across the board uh, to bail themselves out of their financial crisis. And that was the first time Bitcoin shot over a hundred dollars. Um, and so when I saw Bitcoin reacting to those geopolitical events, uh, that's when I, it dawned on me how how big of a deal this was um that this was going to radically change how things operate in the future and and to the highest levels to nation state levels um so i think this, this is where kind of like we're going to start to see a real um shift in positioning on it. like what is a, a nation state's bitcoin strategy uh, I think that's going to be a real conversation. If it's not already happening, it's kind of tangentially happening with CBDCs. Um, that's kind of like a in a in a backhanded way uh, discussing Bitcoin and the impact of Bitcoin uh, because they still want to with, with CBDCs. Obviously, central banks still want to maintain uh, that control and maintain that authority uh, where Bitcoin, um, you know, completely releases. Um, that from uh from their hands so um i think there's going to be a real tug and pull there and i think uh we're we're already starting to see countries taking a position in some way shape or form on that Uh, of course china banning mining uh through the uh, the whole country where bitcoin was primarily predominantly mined in china uh before that uh and then we just saw how bitcoin's network just routed around china uh, in a couple months, it was remarkable to see that um, happen. I, did that happen this year? I think that happened this year. Was that this year? I don't know. This I think so. Blur. Was it early this year? Late last year? I think it. I think it happened this year. Um, so that and that was remarkable. And now we're seeing Bitcoin's hash rate at all time highs, or at least recently it was at uh, all time highs, uh, which means uh, the miners haven't stopped hashing. Uh, the Bitcoin uh, network hasn't hasn't dropped a beat. Um, it's it's continuing to pump out blocks every ten minutes. Um, so that has been uh, also remarkable to see that how anti fragile this network is, even from probably the largest uh, nation state attack that you could possibly do on Bitcoin, uh, and it had no effect. It had zero effect. So um, the network's stronger now than it was before, uh, if anything. So that's that's the thing that the, you know you just have to contend with now. This is a this is a fact um, that every nation on on the planet has to contend with. And you're either going to uh, go on the side of how I see it is you're either on the side of uh, being with you know people having their independence and freedom or uh you know more dictatorial uh top down uh totalitarian uh kind of 
uh, mind frame. And that's yeah. that's basically how China's China's going that route. And the U.S. is still kind of deciding. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it- it's almost like shaping up to where like us and china are going to be like an ab test of what the two what the two mm-hmm. possible scenarios are because i mean we all we all heard ginsler um over the past like month basically cave on bitcoin and just kind of give up like we can't put the he almost his exact quote was like we can't make this a security there's no one to demand to sign papers um yeah. so so it is what it is so it's just like you said uh the, the way you put that's interesting the uh the, the national bitcoin policy like what's your what's your go-to strategy on Bitcoin as a nation? Um, so is there anything you would like to see from like a, a like a U.S. Um, like strategy on how to deal with Bitcoin, how to, how to foster it, I guess. Uh, how to foster it. Well, they can, um, well, so a couple things. Uh, there's a, a huge narrative now, um, especially coming from a ESG perspective, uh, that's putting a casting a negative light on Bitcoin mining, um, and I think that's a bad take. Um, they're just looking at it from a surface level on Bitcoin's using energy, and that's bad. Um, they don't go very much deeper into uh, the notion of how Bitcoin is using energy, what kind of energy it's using, and how can it actually benefit uh, power grids, and that's being explored now in other other uh, countries um actually jack dorsey just tweeted a series of uh tweets about uh, some work that they're doing in africa in these villages you know in the middle of nowhere um uh being able to harness um hydropower hydroelectric uh, energy from like a little stream like a little river um and they're generating bitcoin uh, they have throw a couple bitcoin miners into that makeshift hydro plant and they're actually able to generate not only electricity, but generate Bitcoin, which then goes back into their economy, uh, which they can then utilize to grow their, their, um, their little, uh, their village, right. Put value back. And um, they couldn't do that without an offset cost for building that thing. Right, these are very, very poor uh, countries um, that um, don't have access to a power grid. Like we have such a Western privileged mindset when we talk about these things, right? Because we can just flip on a switch uh, on our wall and see, see, see how easy it is to get electricity. It's like no, what has to go behind that is enormous and tremendously expensive. And uh, it took us decades to get to where we are, right? And these countries still, there's many uh, places around the world that don't have access to electricity like we do. Uh, and Bitcoin's actually an incentive to make that happen and to tap into uh, energy resources that otherwise would not be uh, feasible or cost-effective to from a power grid perspective. So this is actually changing you know, a, a, another facet is uh, the energy grid. Um, I think, again, we'll see how nation states um, either adopt or choose to ban Bitcoin and how that actually affects the energy grid glo- on a global scale, uh, because this stuff is global, right? A Bitcoin miner can basically live anywhere. Um, we're seeing new devices now that you can put a Bitcoin miner uh, on your water heater, too. So it generates Bitcoin while heats your water. Um, 
so it's uh you know this this the scale of this can be very small in a household or very big um so the the utilization of that from an energy energy grid uh cost savings or offsetting cost perspective is going to be huge um i think uh, um and and i think we see el salvador also uh seeing that potential uh, that's a that's definitely a use case that uh i keep close tabs on uh to see how they're developing as a country uh by by being like one of the first or like pioneering how how a nation can move on a bitcoin standard and be totally self-sustainable from a very poor country riddled with gangs and violence uh to now they've like almost completely changed the dynamics of their internal economy uh within within a year i mean they only adopted bitcoin as legal tender um maybe 18 months ago uh so that's been of course bitcoin's prices down since then so that hasn't helped in that regard but as far as how they're utilizing their energy resources in a way that they never have before uh because they're in, there's an incentive to uh, that's been super fascinating that's can you break that down a little further because i one, one thing it's you'll find is like depending on who you, who you ask bitcoin in el salvador is going terribly wrong or it's amazing yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. There's obviously, um, uh, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. And, and mm -hmm. again, like this only happened 18 months ago to think that everything would change on a dime is, uh, is just not feasible or, or kind of ludicrous thinking, right? This mm -hmm. is going to take time. You can't, you can't, and you can't enter the Bitcoin standard for a whole country and expect things uh, to just magically shift overnight. Um, but the fact that it's shifting in the right direction, right? The, the direction that they wanted to see their country go um, is, is a positive sign that they are moving in the right direction. Things are developing in the way that they had uh, hoped. Um, and if you ask people there, they would say that it's going probably better than they originally thought. Uh, now there's, uh, still a lot of work to be done um i know several people that have been there that live there um and they uh you know they'll say there's a lot of educate there's an education gap right there's a lot of people mm -hmm. that still don't quite get it right they don't understand why this is important and again that's understandable that this is a a whole new paradigm right that you have to learn about and you have to uh understand why it's important um and uh, even though President Bukele uh, gets that, not necessarily the rest of his country does, right? Um, there's a division there, uh, just like there would be in any any political regime, right? You have uh, supporters and you have uh, haters of the, of whatever that other party supports. So uh, it's this it's the same kind of human dynamic there uh, mm -hmm. as anywhere else. But uh, for the most part, I think it's. Uh, uh, I think it's really uh, a positive thing that they're uh, doing, and uh, I think we'll start to see the fruits of what they've um, kind of set the found laid the foundation for uh, over the next handful of years. Yeah, we should probably do a follow up conversation maybe sometime next year to dive into that further because there's a lot to to unpack there. But uh, 
Dana, I think we've had a few questions come through. Do you want to queue those up so we can allocate some time to those? Yeah, absolutely. So we got a great, we got several questions from Richard, but I want to start off with this one because it kind of piggybacks off of our conversation about energy a bit. Um, Richard asks, any opinions on the recent announcement of nuclear fusion and its potential on removing a negative of Bitcoin mining? Uh, fusion, yeah, that's been uh, a very interesting topic as of late. I, I, again, exploring these new energy um, uh, resources, um, new ways of developing energy, uh, I think it's going to make a huge impact, uh, obviously, not only for, for mankind. Uh, any negative effect on Bitcoin, man, I can't think of a negative effect. Anything that makes uh, energy cheaper and uh you know taps into renewable energy sources uh bitcoin is the king at that <laughs> bitcoin if you if if you took bitcoin as an industry uh in and of itself it is the single best use uh of, of renewable energies right now on the planet uh there's no other industry that's using renewable energy uh more than bitcoin um, so if you're for renewable energies, you should be for Bitcoin uh, because it is giving um, a perfect use case for renewable energies in a way that no other industry has been able to demonstrate so far. Um, so if if we could tap into fusion energy, nuclear fusion, that would be amazing. Um, so and, and it would just help increase security for the network. Great. Um, the next question from Richard as well, um, he wants to know what incentives are there for mining when we get closer to all 21 million coins that are available? Yeah, this this is a, a common question um, because right now the incentive uh, is built into the block reward. Uh, so there's a subsidy of Bitcoin that's being generated every 10 minutes. Uh, for every block that's created, that goes to the miners. Uh, but but also the the miners also get uh, all the transactions that happen or contained within that block, all the transaction fees. That is, um, so um, the idea is that once Bitcoin becomes more and more used, and there's limited block space uh, in 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 each block, so the value of that block space is going to go up. And so transaction fees are going to increase and you're going to start to see more activity flow to the Lightning Network uh, because transaction fees are much less there. and Also, the settlement times are, are instant. Um, so you're going to see uh, on-chain transactions be designated for high-value transactions. Uh, and basically all the lower transactability day-to-day -day, um, spending is going to be on the Lightning Network, um, which totally makes sense because you don't want to wait to settle every single transaction every single time. Um, so the transactability will flow to the Lightning Network while you maintain uh, the security needs of the base chain. Um, so I, I think the incentive will be, uh, well, I think there's a, a couple interesting things here. The incentive for mining will still be applicable 
Um, I mean, there's going to be a block subsidy for the next at least 120 years. So I think uh, thinking about this now is a little bit premature. Um, but uh, because right now, effectively, it's under two percent. Uh, I believe um, the block subsidy is uh, 6.25 Bitcoin per block. Um, so in the next halving in two years, uh, or I think a year and a half at this point, um, that's going to be cut in half again. So 3.125 uh, Bitcoin per block is uh, going to be the subsidy. So depending on the price of Bitcoin, um, you know that's that could be either substantial or not so much. So you're going to uh, shore up your revenue as a miner uh, potentially in some other way. And I think like providing that liquidity to the lightning network is actually going to be an additional revenue source for miners because they are the ones with the most liquidity the quickest um uh, the big in terms of bitcoin bitcoin liquidity um and they can start offsetting that transacting uh that the block subsidy by generating yield uh through uh, the Lightning Network and providing liquidity needs there. Um, so I think that's really the going to be the model uh, going forward is uh, miners are going to start uh, shifting that liquidity need uh, and actually using Bitcoin in that sense uh, to generate yield. Very interesting. That's a great question. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. Um, our next question is, we're kind of looking ahead into the new year. Um, it's from Ted, and he wants to know, is there glaring, is there a glaring single headwind or a grouping of headwinds that Bitcoin faces in 2023? Uh, the biggest glaring headwind I see is regulatory um, with this fallout with uh, FTX and several other bankruptcies that has happened, transpired in the latter half of this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of attention, obviously, towards regulation. Um, and I think that's a problem. I, I think we were better suited when the regulators kind of just like brush this off as a little hobbyist uh, thing that, you know, wasn't really transacting a whole lot of uh, dollars or putting a lot of people at risk. Um, but that's not where we are anymore. Um, so uh, those discussions are going to be increasingly important to pay attention to, and um, uh, and really, there's a lot of uh, industry folks that are uh, trying to, you know, talk talk to the to regulators and help them understand. Like, look, don't overreact about this because this is this is important and this could affect how, like we mentioned earlier, the geopolitical strategy. If we end up, you know, ha having a heavy hand like China, uh, that could be extremely detrimental in the future. Um, so we don't want to move quick in in regards to regulations, especially. I mean, I, I was I was listening to the hearing the ftx hearing yesterday and yeah, yeah, these congressmen they just they have zero clue what they're talking about let's be honest yeah. um yeah one of them made the, a comment of like he still thought crypto was basically for terrorists who want to hide their money right and that's such yeah and an antiquated it, view of things it's 
it's it's it well it's it's not only antiquated it's it's just false it's, it's, wrong, <laughs> it's, right. it's like Hide your money uh, we we, we, we run chain analytics um <laughs> on this constantly and um you know the, the vast majority of uh illegal activity is not happening in bitcoin it's happening with the us dollar in traditional banks uh that's why banks have been fined in more uh, in value than the whole worth of the whole crypto market. So this is this is a ridiculous claim that they're making, but they're just they're just saying this stuff and like nobody's checking them on it and it's and it's just it's blatantly false, patently false and it, it could be provably false if they would look into the information, of course they don't. So that is a huge risk um as far as the US is concerned. Uh, in the headwinds uh, going forward um, that I think uh, I I actually don't know if it will impact the Bitcoin as much as the rest of the alt market because um, Gensler has been very clear that hey, Bitcoin's a commodity. It's, it's, it's not a security. Um, and that has been now declared numerous times. Um, so I think it's becoming more and more clear in uh, the growing confidence that Bitcoin is not going to be the thing that is regulated regulated as a security, um, but it could be regulated as a commodity, and it and it probably will. I mean, the IRS already does, right? If you pay your taxes uh, from Bitcoin transactions, you're paying the capital gains and losses. So that's that's already established. So that's nothing new. Um, and we know how to deal with that. So hopefully that doesn't change further and they don't add more uh, extraneous restrictions on this uh, on this industry um, just because, right? Because mm -hmm. they have to justify their existence and make it seem like they're doing something useful when they're actually not. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I have my hopes that... Um, we have we have a lot of support as well in even in Congress. Uh, there's a a blockchain council in Congress now, um, and you know we have champions like Tom Emmer and um, uh, Loomis uh, from Wyoming that is uh, really trying to uh, set up guardrails within Congress that they should um, you know treat this stuff appropriately uh, but that, that still takes a lot of education and understanding uh, to get it right great i think we've got time for one last question um let me double check so this one is definitely i've seen a lot of headlines about this so i'm interested in your your answer, Gabe. Um, but Richard asks, what impact do lost coins have on the entire landscape? Mm. Yeah, this it, it's it's um it's always interesting to question the lost coins. And I I mean I've lost I've lost keys to coins, so you're welcome. Um if you own Bitcoin. I, I essentially what that does is is it just uh, it basically gives back to everybody else. Uh, that owns Bitcoin, right? Because you're you're effectively, um, if you lost coins, what that means is that you have lost your private keys to be able to spend those Bitcoins, um, which means that they're locked in there forever and they're never moving. Um, this is what I think uh, Satoshi's coins are locked forever. They're never going anywhere. I think uh, Satoshi, whoever he 
she, them, they are. Um, I think they're, they've passed away. I don't think anybody has access to those keys. And so I don't think those coins are ever moving. Um, and it's, it's impossible to know which, uh, which coins are actually lost. There's only rough guesstimates. Um, that's the best you can do uh, because we're seeing uh, continually, we'll see news articles that are tracking old wallets. Um, and you and we're seeing constantly where wallets that are 10, 12 years old uh, were coins that were minted in the early days of Bitcoin have just now moved for the first time ever. So where we might have thought those were lost before, right? Because we assume that somebody lost those keys because they haven't moved, uh, but now they're moving. So it's it's impossible to know whether or not um, uh, coins are actually lost. Uh, so it, it, it's hard to it's hard to gauge. But essentially, that all that does is give back. <laughs> That's where you got to manage right. your keys. <laughs> and we actually did get one last question in. So we're going to try and squeeze this in really quick. Um, this is from Michael. And he says, my question is about timing. There is a saying that pioneers are the ones to face the most resistance when exploring new areas. Do you, his question is, do you still encounter this phenomenon when talking about what blockchains can do for traditional businesses? And if so, do you always face the same kind of resistance or is it different from client to client? Great question, Michael. Great question. Yeah, it, it, it varies. Like everybody's uh, has a, it comes at this from a different perspective, right? So it depends on the business owner perspective, the business objectives as well. Uh, and what the pain points are, right? Bitcoin should solve a problem. Uh, and if you're, and I, I think the problem, you know, mainly right now for businesses is uh, transaction fees are extremely high going through payment processors and whatnot. So um, I think what you, uh, as a business owner, if you want to um, see yourself moving into the future, right? See yourself where your business is going to be in five, 10 years. Is it going to be uh, adopting Bitcoin or still questioning it? Um, of course, you know, companies that we talked to, uh, you know, 10 years ago to start adopting Bitcoin, uh, you know, they, they have mixed uh, feelings about it because they didn't know where this was going to go. They cashed out early. You know, had they kept them, they would have uh, made out really well, uh, but it, it all depends on the business and the business objectives and and what the strategy there is. And uh, we definitely want to make it super easy to to lower that barrier of questioning uh, completely um, and just say yes and see how it goes. Yeah, good question, Michael. And next year will be really, well, every year has been interesting, right? But next year we're going to see I, th I think that's going to be um, a topic that stays top of mind for a lot of people is, you know, now, like it's never been in the news more, I think, than it has now. And it's on more people's radar and the world's changing very quickly. So we'll, we'll see what kind of problems it can solve and what kind of resistance or um, interest people have in, in using it. So, all right, well, that's Absolutely. about all the time we... That's about all the time we have, Gabe. It was uh, it was awesome chatting with you today. Man, great insights. Really, really 
uh, appreciate you being here. If, um, someone wants to get in touch with you after this, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can reach out on Twitter. Um, it's probably a, a good way. Just look me up. Gabe B for Bitcoin Higgins. Uh, that's my handle. Uh, just ping me there. My DMs are open, I believe, I think. Except for scammers. <laughs> okay. If you're a scammer, don't ping Gabe, but everyone else, you're good to go. All right, cool. Well, um, if you've got a moment to share um, some feedback, Dana, I think you dropped that. Yeah, you just dropped that link to the survey in there. So if you have a moment to take um, that, I think it just takes about a minute, just like four or five questions. That's really helpful for us because it helps us understand, should we change the format around? You know, What kind of topics would you like to see? What can we be doing better to make these experiences um, or make these experiences better for you? Because this is why we're doing it. This is for you all. This is to help you learn, help build a sense of community. And so anything you can tell us to help us improve is always very welcome. So... Thanks in advance for taking that. Um, and just as a heads up, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do our next uh, live interview in AMA. It's going to be with um, Alex from our team. We're going to talk about how Bitcoin fits into the broader Web3 ecosystem. So it'll be a nice kind of continuation of this thread. So be on the lookout for an invite for that. But um, until then, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Enjoy your day. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Blockspaces Live. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if this show helped you on your path to building with blockchain, then we'd be thrilled if you left us a review while you're there. And remember, to join our live recordings, just head to blockspaces.com slash podcast, put in your email, and we'll send you an invite. See you next time.